I'd like to invite you to take that Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John. And we'll continue in our series through John's Gospel. We've been studying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's been over a year now. We're more than halfway through. And we find ourselves in John 11 today. We'll be reading verse 17 through 27. And that's the portion that we'll consider for today. And we'll look at chapter 11 one more time next week before we begin our missions emphasis month. But let's begin by reading. You can follow along and listen as I read and then we'll ask the Lord to bless our understanding and our obedience. This is verse 17, John 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humbly approach your Word. We ask that you help us understand that we should never stand over it or even alongside of it, but under it, understanding it to be your very words to us, your way of choosing to reveal yourself. Lord, may we be students. You be our teacher. Help us to understand it. Help us to obey it. And we'll praise you for these things in your name. Amen. Well, here again in this passage, as we've seen so many times before, and we'll continue to see, uh, John is showcasing Jesus... Uh, personal interaction with another person one-on-one. And uh, this, to me, is, is one, of the, one of the better ways and a unique way to John's gospel for us to get to know Jesus on a personal level. John's been introducing us to Jesus along the way, but so often he's using these interactions between people. We get to see how Jesus addresses different ones. And next week we'll see how he talks to Mary, Martha's sister. And uh, it also builds into the case that John is teaching us these things that he saw as an eyewitness. He doesn't just jump to the miracle, which is the highlight of the entire chapter, the best miracle he's done up till now. But he goes through these stages, each step of the way as the events happened, including the conversations uh, between Mary and Martha. 
we get to verse 17, we just read it, but I want to draw your attention to certain words. And uh, we'll take our time as we do some investigation in order to set the stage for the setting. It's been shifting back and forth from where Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan to this place where Lazarus has died, which is in Bethany. But it says, now when he came, because he had been over on the other side of the Jordan, he, Jesus, found that Lazarus had been dead or already been dead in the tomb four days. And it tells us the distance between Jerusalem and Bethany, about two miles. The fact that many Jews had come that short distance to console Mary and Martha concerning their brother. The fact that the trip was so short made it easier for people who were in Jerusalem to visit Mary and Martha and the family in Bethany. And that it says many people did so. Uh, just adds another layer to what we know from other passages. This was probably a family that was very well to do and had a, a very broad, wide influence over a large group of people. Um, it says that they had come to see her. And this was a, a huge custom. In fact, if you didn't know many people, uh, it was likely that you would hire people to come to the funeral to mourn. That doesn't really make sense to us that we'd pay somebody to cry emotionally at a funeral of someone that they didn't even know. But in this culture, that was, was very important. Last week, we talked about the geography, the time needed between where Jesus was and this location where John began to baptize near the Jordan River and uh, the time that it would take for Jesus to make that trip, the distance between these two locations... We added it all up that one day for the messenger to go from Bethany to where Jesus was to tell him that Lazarus was sick. The two days that we learned Jesus waited before he left. And then the one day journey from Bethany or from the place at the Jordan to Bethany, all that adds up to four days. So it matches very well. Lazarus had been dead four days and in the tomb already. And that was something that they did because they didn't have embalming the way we do now you, you got them where they needed to be that day as quickly as you could now we actually have record I didn't mention this last week it's rather interesting it's from records that date slightly later than John's gospel this isn't in the Bible but we have some references of rabbinic belief that they believe that the soul would kind of hover over the body of the dead for three days. And when that soul would see the change in composition of the body, when it began to deteriorate, the soul would depart. And the reason here was that uh, resurrection was impossible. They'd hover there hoping perhaps to... to uh, re-inhabit the, the body and we've heard of, of, of miracles where it seemed a close call we even talked last week about people who've flatlined and been resuscitated but we really don't believe any of this even though it seems some of the rabbis did we've got places in scripture where it says to be absent with the bodies to be present with the Lord and we did hear Jesus tell the repentant thief on the cross today you will be with me in paradise, not hovering over your body for three days, waiting for a last hope. And if you don't get it, then you can come to paradise with me. So, what does that mean to this? 
Well, it only means that after four days, the body's decomposed, the body is gone, the spirit has departed. This is more mighty a miracle had it been done days earlier. The text also tells us, if we're technical in the Greek, that Bethany was 15 stadia. That's the term for it from Jerusalem. One stadia is about 202 yards and 9 inches. For any of you that may have known that, you times that by 15, that's 3,030 and 3 quarters yards, or just over 1.72 miles. That's why the ESV takes it easy on you and says about 2 miles. The NIV would say less than two miles. Both of those are correct. So it's not so long a distance. By the time we get to verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained. I don't know that we should read much into that. She stays in the house. Martha begins this conversation with Jesus. And it has to do with whether or not he was there. And if he had been, it would have been different, perhaps. What we see here with Martha and later Mary, when we look next week, uh, really is a lot to be compared with what we see in Luke 10. If you're familiar with Luke 10, that's where we're introduced to these sisters and how that uh, Jesus is teaching in the house. Mary's listening at his feet. Martha's busy. She, at some point, has enough. And she asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her. And Jesus says, you're worried about a lot of things. But you need to understand that what Mary has chosen is a good thing. So we being humans like to, uh, we like to charge people with certain things. And uh, they're typecasted from, from then on out, right? Well, what we're going to see Mary say today is, is quite a clear confession of faith on the level of what Peter would say, or even uh, doubting Thomas later, who wasn't doubting at that specific moment, though he had earlier. So I think just in passing, we shouldn't read too much into the difference what here. Uh, did Mary stay there because she didn't want to see Jesus? No, when she's called, she goes. She probably doesn't know, and Mary heard something, or Martha did, that Mary didn't, perhaps. And seeing contrasts between people, even though we want to make one right and one the other, it's not always the case. And I think by the end of the time we've spent today, we'll find something that would be better to characterize Martha by than one low point and a mistake and an ill-spoken word in Luke chapter 10. Aren't you glad you aren't in the Bible? And the rest of the world attaches to you what maybe people that know you best say when they describe you. So what do we do? Martha's first words to Jesus, we see in verse 21, getting down to the conversation here. I don't think they're a rebuke. It seems as though it might be a rebuke. As if to say that Jesus ought to have been there. But if our math is correct that we looked at last week, Lazarus died likely right after the messenger was sent. So there really wasn't time for Jesus to have been there. Unless a miracle was involved where he teleports from one place to another. And Martha's going to have a very big difficulty with him even rolling back a stone on a decomposed brother. So I don't think her faith is to that level and what she's about to say would, would argue that case either. 
Um, that and add to the fact that Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha for what she said, even though he did correct her for what she said in Luke 10. So Martha's words are surely uh, words of grief. That's obvious. We say certain things we wouldn't say when we're grieving as opposed to when we're not. That's here. That's real. But I think there are words of faith here as well. I think she's saying that if Jesus had been there, if he could have been there, she knows that he would have healed him. It would have been a different story. This is the same thing that Mary's going to say when she sees him just a few verses later. And then some would take this a step further, uh, even from this place, when we look at the next words that she says, uh, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Some think that she's uh, saying, well, it's not too late. You could ask the Lord now to reverse the whole thing, and uh, that'd be great. But I don't think that fits with verse 39, where she makes him stop. Don't open the tomb. His body's decomposed by now. So, I think the plainest reading of this verse seems to point to the fact that even though she believes that if Jesus had been there, her brother would have been healed, she has that much confidence in Jesus, but also that she hasn't lost her confidence in Jesus, nor the power of his relationship to his Father. That seems to be very much intact. So this is grief, but it's worshipful faith, I believe. Jesus says to her in verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. D.A. Carson, one of my favorite uh, sources for study, commentator, theologian, he says that this is about as much of a masterpiece of planned ambiguity as you'll find in Scripture. You know what ambiguity is. Um, just for kids in the room. It, it, something can mean two different things. Uh, somebody might say they're ambidextrous, they write with either hand. So uh, when Jesus is saying, your brother will rise again, Mary thinks, sure, at the last day, I'll see him again. But what Jesus has in mind is that that's going to be a lot sooner than later. You just wait. And it seems that he's the only one that would expect this. No one else has expected it. Uh, but just to, to think through it there, what do we say to people at funerals when we believe that the deceased is a believer and we're confident in that? Well, this isn't the last thing. Uh, you will see them again. We say this is comfort and, and, and it's, they're words of hope. We do it all the time. And if anyone had been standing there in earshot, they'd probably think this is exactly what Jesus is doing too. And they wouldn't have thought any more of it, and probably not any less. These are words of comfort. He's reminding her of the final resurrection at the end of time. In other words, this could be reduced to something as simple as saying, death will not have the last word on the last day. But, when the one who is the resurrection and the life attends a funeral, you don't need to wait for the last day. But they don't know that yet. 
As far as Martha goes, the meaning of Jesus' words will only expand from the one meaning to the greater meaning in the process of time and as this story unfolds in front of her eyes. And what I think that we're being taught in this passage, and this is where we'll conclude here in a few minutes, I think a lot of us might linger between those two levels of faith that just about everybody at a funeral would like to believe that this isn't all there is. There is a life after death. We'll see each other again. But to coming right out and confessing that I believe that it is Jesus who is the resurrection and the life, that's another level of faith, another level of belief, another level of intellectual assent, if you want to even reduce it to that. So we can see the two different ways of seeing reality here. Jesus is saying one thing. Everybody else is believing on another down here. We've seen that so many times in this story already. So Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So what Jesus is doing here, and just kind of think along with the words that he's saying in response to what she had said, he's drawing her focus from an abstract belief in a way out yonder, end of days, resurrection that she and many believe in, though not all of them believed in it. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. He's taking her from that to a more concrete, personalized belief in the one who alone can make that very thing happen. He's saying, I understand, but you need to know that I am the resurrection and the life. Same as when he said, I am the bread of life. Same as when he said, I am living water. Same as when he said, I am the light of the world. We know about bread, we know about water, we know about life, we know about light. He's saying, I am the ultimate of all those things. That's where all that stuff comes from. There can't be a resurrection on the last day without me resurrecting everyone on the last day. It's me, is what he's saying. He's taking her from, from abstract to concrete, a man standing in front of her, hearing his voice, looking into his eyes quite a difference he not only gives the bread from heaven he is the bread of life not only raises the dead on the last day he himself is the resurrection of the dead so he's speaking of two types of life one that she's talking of and one he's talking of but he gets more precise in verse 26 and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die now if you put the two of those together whoever believes in me though he die we used this at a funeral service not long ago. It's very obvious someone has died. But we believe that those who believe in Jesus, though they die, are not dead. So right there you've got a physical life being described and a spiritual life being described. And then verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's a certain aspect that even though our physical bodies uh, 
will, will actually waste away. Um, most of our prayer requests on Wednesday evenings have to do with that very thing. Body's not working like it used to. And it's, it's hardest when they're younger bodies or even unborn bodies that are planning you know, surgeries into the future. Um, that's one type of life, physical life. It, it, it wanes away. Natural, ordinary, physical life. But behind that, there's this eternal life that Jesus came to give us, and it's ours if we believe in Him. And you could even say that the believer in Jesus has already begun their eternal life. You know, they kind of overlap. you got regular life and eternal life, and when you're saved, you get the eternal life, but you're still living in this body, and you don't really even get started until you pass away as we call it. Think about this. Jesus is going to interrupt that physical death for Lazarus. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what I'd like to ask Lazarus about. Not what it was like to be dead, but what was it like to be in glory and then have to come back. Um, he probably may say something like, I wish he'd picked someone else to perform this miracle on. I'm quite happy where I was. But think about these things. It's, it's, it's quite a lot to wrap your head around. And Jesus doesn't end his statement to Martha with a period. He ends the whole line with a question. Look at it. It's right there in verse 26. Do you believe this? And that's where he puts it to her. Form of a question. Asking for a response. He knows what she believes, but he needs her to know what she believes. He's not asking if she believes if he is about to raise her brother from the dead. That just doesn't fit the context. She's not that far. What he is asking her is if she can go beyond her comfort of confidence that she will see her brother again on the last day to a specific personal trust in Jesus as the true resurrection and the life. The one who can actually grant eternal life we talked about this a number of weeks ago from revelation 1 fear not i am the first and the last and the living one i died and behold i'm alive forevermore i have the keys of death and hell he holds the keys he's the resurrection and the life do you believe in him again this sounds familiar to us i don't think it's that difficult to believe in a life after. Even a God in heaven in a place where we're all together when we're gone. But do you believe that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to pay your sin debt on a cross. To make you fit for his Father's presence. And that on that last day he'll raise you from the dead. Your body. Reunite it with your spirit. This is where it gets down to, I guess you call it brass tacks. This is what separates Christianity from all the other religions. This is what to do with Jesus. Do you believe it? John's been saying this from the beginning of the book. In fact, I looked it up just to make sure I, I, I knew where I was at. So far in the gospel, through the verses we're looking at today, 
There have been over 50 verses that include the word believe regarding this very notion as to whether or not Jesus is who he said he was. And many of those verses have more than one use of the word believe. It'll be 80 verses by the time we get to the end of the book. Do you believe this? The question has involved the Jews that didn't believe him. It's involved a stranger at a well. It's involved the teacher that came to Jesus in the night. It's involved Jesus' own family who are having difficulty believing in him. It had to do with people on whom miracles were performed. Do you believe this? Is at every turn in this book that John is writing. And at the end he says, I wrote all this so that you might believe. It's all about belief. And really it's come right down to this pinpoint for one woman named Martha standing in front of Jesus at a funeral or near to it, just down the road where everything might change for them as they see it with their eyes. So the question involved is this. Do you believe? Now, would anyone like to try to put yourself in her shoes or any of the rest of these people? This guy looks like anybody else. What makes it more difficult is that many of these people grew up with Jesus. How is he supposed to be God's son? What are they supposed to work off of? There's different ways Jesus deals with unbelief. From his mother to the Pharisees. With the Pharisees, he just said, Okay, if you don't believe me, believe the signs. Because the signs are not nothing. The signs are something. John uses the word signs. They point to things. And the signs were quite spectacular. Nobody could be able to do this. If you were there and you saw them, you had to know what to do with them. Most people tried to explain them away, but Jesus said, start there. If that's all you, if, if you don't have anywhere to start, start with the signs. But then with others, like the woman at the well, they talked theologically back and forth for a while. Which mountain do we worship on? Whatever else. But then when Jesus got down to her sin... He brought it up. She tried to shift the subject. That's where the theological discussion came in. Lots of times that's a very convenient place to talk theology when you're being called into, uh, into question as to whether or not your morality is up snuff. Before it was over, she said, there's this guy out here who's telling me things that only I know. There were other people that said, this man speaks with authority, not like the scribes. Over and over, he's asking people to do things, to demonstrate to him that they're listening, that they're paying attention. Lame men, get up. Blind men, go wash. Teachers, you have to be born again. You must. And what's going on here is that Martha's being asked... Not necessarily whether or not she believes there's a life after death. She's asking if she believes that Jesus is who he says he was. And notice this is before Jesus raised her brother. Not after. Would that make a difference with you? He asked before. Some of us are, are, are on a lifelong scavenger hunt to just add up everything until we think we've got such an airtight, airtight case that finally we can 
we can rise to intellectual ascent. Well, intellectual ascent only takes us so far. Martha's being asked to look into the eyes of someone who looks like anybody else but believes that he's God. Some of the people have believed it, but their encounter seems to touch things that they can't answer in the physical realm. You know, Paul will talk about this later, that none of us have an excuse, that we all know beyond shadow of a doubt in very basic elements that there is a right and there is a wrong. We all know that. My favorite, leave here, go to Walmart, break in line. You'll see, everybody believes it. And what's, what's more amazing of the different, that, that knowing that there's right and there's wrong is knowing that we should do the right and we shouldn't do the wrong, right? But here's where I think certain people begin to run into a very real problem, especially the woman at the well. I know what I should do, but that's not what I've done. And I don't know how to stop. And when the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world actually is seen as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the sheep that know His voice, the Good Shepherd, they know I'm, I'm His. I have no hope without someone who can take away my sin. That's the thing this world can't account for. So what Martha's being asked here, if you just want to get right down to the bottom of it, she's being asked to demonstrate faith. Do you believe this? Are the dots connecting? Does all this make sense? You've seen some signs. You've seen the way I live. You've seen the way I've treated you. You've seen what I've said to others, heard what I've said. So what does she say? Verse 27. She said to him, yes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's just analyze that for a minute. Because this isn't the answer of someone who's only repeating back what they've just heard. Because she says extra things that Jesus hasn't said. This isn't the ramblings of someone who hasn't followed or paid attention because she's actually going to carry the argument further. This isn't the answer of someone who's choosing their own way by cherry-picking what she liked out of what he said but ignoring the rest. This is the answer of someone who is agreeing, someone who is connecting the dots. If we just look at what she's got there, Christ, Son of God, coming into the world... And though she doesn't have a copy of John's Gospel to read, John's the one who put this together, but just looking in, in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through Him. Without Him is not anything made that's made. In Him was life. And the light of men, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. Drop down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. She identifies him as an extraterrestrial. Somehow, some way, this has come into this world, from outside the world. All this business about life being the light of men, we've seen it so many times. He's just opened the eyes of a man born blind physically. He's been opening the eyes of those who demonstrate faith as well. 
They're seeing things the others aren't seeing. I believe Nicodemus and all that mob of Pharisees who don't believe is seeing. And I believe Martha is now seeing. And then if we were to just look at the end one more time. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. That's supposed to be the starting point, the basis for belief. Those aren't written in this book, but these are written. What? The things, the words, the miracles. So that you might believe that Jesus is what? The Christ. The Son of God. She's right on point. She's made a hundred, if you might want to say. This is what we should know from Martha. Or know Martha for. Just to end where we started earlier. Not for her worst moment of criticism and fretfulness. But that she made the right confession. She didn't have access to Lee Strobel's A Case for Christ. She didn't have access to uh, Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict. She didn't have science class. She didn't have a telescope, a microscope, modern medicine. All she had was a sinful heart and the offer of forgiveness by someone whose actions actually backed up his words. And his miracles said that he was different. I wish there was a way with science, philosophy, whatever else to just absolutely nail it down irrefutably. This is the truth. But it seems as if all of this, including the best parts of the Bible, is just out of reach of science and philosophy. Others would argue with me on that. But if it was so simple and so true and so uh, closed case that any dummy could see it, then all the dummies would be saved, right? I'm trying to use words to make sure we're communicating here. Most people don't believe this. His family didn't believe him. The religious professionals didn't believe him. His mother had to put it all together. John was putting it all together. You'll have to put it all together. It's not rocket science. Get out of a building and go look into the sky. You know this place is no accident. And you know your struggle just to be the good man you know you should be. If this is true, and I believe it is, it changes everything. All the way from go and sin no more to live with me forever. But there's only one way. And the question is very specific. Do you believe this? What? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's the question you'll have to answer. And you may struggle with it all your life. There'll be days where you think, this is hard. There'll be days where you're trying to tell someone else and you'll wonder, do I sound as unbelievable as I think I sound? Well, that's not really for you to do. You just tell the truth as it's been given to you. If they're the sheep, they'll hear His voice. He knows them and they'll follow Him. It's the way it works. Just be faithful. But with that said, we just leave ourselves with this question. Do you believe this?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the man honest enough to say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. A lot of times I think we can relate to him before we relate to others. Even when Peter made his confession, you told him flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. And Lord, he would later deny that he even knew you. Lord, help us not to worry so much about our broken frame as much as the one who made it and can restore it. Lord, give us faith to trust you. Build on our faith. Build our relationship with you. And Lord, may we tell others convincingly, these are written that you might believe, as I have, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Thank you for church today. Thank you for each other. Lord, we thank you for plans for a missions month and welcoming new members. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for our Bibles. We thank you for breaking the barrier between where you are and where we are to tell us that we can be your own. We ask all this in your name. Amen.